Hey there, this is Nathan Agan, and welcome to the Working Actor's Journey, connecting you with lifelong professionals. Today we have a Macbeth text work session with Elizabeth Dennehy from episode number 26. Previous sessions of text work include other pieces by Shakespeare, along with Pinter, Stoppard, and newer works. And if you enjoy this text work session, I highly encourage you to check out the full episode with the guest, as it is packed with so much more on life as a working actor. Now, if you're really enjoying this podcast, you can become a patron. Starting at just $2 per month, get exclusive access to behind the scenes and additional content, and be part of taking this show to the next level. And for those who join at the co-star level or higher, just $5 or more per month, you also receive a 10% discount on our workshops and programs. In today's episode, Elizabeth shares her approach to working on Shakespeare, which includes what the number of syllables can tell you, the thought igniter exercise, the first question to ask, and more. Plus, we chat about the difference in performing a monologue in an audition versus a show. If you want to follow along, the speech is in Shakespeare's Macbeth, Act 2, Scene 1, around line 45. Is this a dagger which I see before me? And speaking of Shakespeare, we have an upcoming virtual workshop in April 2022 with Randall Duk Kim and Annie Okio Grosso from Episode 25. They are workshopping a couple scenes from King Lear, and you can either be in the scene with Randy as Lear, a party played to acclaim at American Players Theater, or be part of the virtual audience. They have been working professionally for 50-plus years and are sharing the discoveries and ideas they have about Shakespeare's first folio. Randall and Annie will teach you how to find answers to the many questions that great actors need to ask. Head to WorkingActorsJourney.com to find out more and sign up. Space is limited and registration closes very soon. Okay, today's excerpt with Elizabeth is a great session because you hear not only how Elizabeth works as an actress, but also as a teacher and an audition coach. It is always amazing to hear how many opportunities and ideas come literally from the words, text, and rhythm itself. So here we go with Elizabeth and Macbeth's dagger speech. Please enjoy the text work. And I, and I know you had mentioned uh, a piece of text from Macbeth. I, I wondered if, like, maybe we could take a quick look at that just so that people can, you know, get a little bit of an idea of, of what, you know, some of the things you look at or some of the things you focus on. And this is, you mentioned the, is this a dagger, which I see before me speech. Is that what you wanted to look at? Well, so what, what I start off with, with my kids, yeah, sure. I think the hardest thing about teaching Shakespeare is where do you begin? Where do you start? Yeah, Cause you, yeah. so you don't want to turn them off explaining iambic pentameter and spondies and trochees and because 10th grade brains are, you know, that could be a real turnoff, especially right, if they're right. predisposed to thinking this is going to be befuddling and boring and I'm not going to right. get this. So what I start off with is I give them examples of prose speech. What, the one I like to use is logs from Two Gentlemen of, uh, of Verona, where he's talking about the dog farting under the table. The kids all get a kick out of that. Right, and then right. I show them an example of uh, verse speech, and I usually use, oh, spider hell, I see you all are bent to set against me for your merriment. Not only is it perfect iambic pentameter, but it's rhyming couplets as well. From a, a Midsummer Night's Dream, right. From a Midsummer right, Night's yeah. Dream. So then to explore... 
irregular Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I use, is this a dagger which I see before me, which has irregular lines, lines that are, some are longer than others. And in, so in terms of, just to give people context, in terms of the meter, in terms of the like, yeah, you know, yeah. how many, is, you know, yeah, that I am mixed so, up. Yeah. How many syllables per line? So is right. this a dagger which I see before me as 11 syllables? The right. handle toward my hand come, let me clutch thee. Why are the first two lines have 11 syllables? What does it mean to you? They're tools, not rules. What could be going on for Macbeth? This is right before he's um, on his way to kill the king, kill Duncan. Mm -hmm. This third line, I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Interesting, the third line is not only 10 syllables, but every word is a single syllable. Mm -hmm. Every word is a monosyllable in that line, in that line. Why do you think that's, that's so? Is that useful information? If not, move on. So art thou not fatal vision sensible? Another 10 syllable line. And you go down the speech counting how many syllables are in the, are in each line. And then he says, or art thou but a dagger of the mind of false creation proceeding from the heat oppressed brain? I see thee yet in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Six syllables. Six syllables, right. Right? So why do you think, I would ask the actor, is that line only six syllables? And to which the student may say, well, what is he talking about? He's drawing a dagger from his belt. Mm -hmm. So maybe the four syllables are where you do the stage direction. Right. And and potentially also comparing the dagger in his hand to the one he see, like holding it up and like going, exactly. what, you know, you know, that there's some kind of business and, and that's what the actor and, and or director can create. But right. I, I see what you're talking about. So there's, there, so there's an embedded stage direction there as this, which now I draw, you could draw it on those six syllables. And then like you say, hold it up, or right. you can draw, choose to draw it on those four syllables. But like I said, tools, not rules. Look at it mm-hmm. and if it's useful to you. And so what I would do with the students, this is something that I learned when in, I did a program at the Globe program for teachers a few years ago, is you would have the kids sitting in a circle in chairs and give each student a line. So each student would have a line and they would count how many syllables are in their line. If you have 10 syllables per line, a regular iambic pentameter line, you sit in the chair. If you have more than 10 syllables, stand in the chair. If you have fewer, sit on the floor in front of the chair. And when we do the whole speech, we go around the room and it's a cardiometer Mm. of the, of the character's heart rate, of the what's going on with the character. There's a few widely held beliefs that if a line is a regular, if a speech is regular iambic pentameter, and made up of lines or thoughts that are 10 syllables per line. This is somebody working through something, piecing something together. If you have more than 10 syllables per line, the thought is so big, it doesn't fit into 10 syllables. It may spill over. And so we get an idea of what's going on with Macbeth emotionally and Mm -hmm. in his heart the energy that he's carrying inside of him when we map a speech this way. If he, is he using a lot of single syllable words like uh, moves like a ghost, thou sure and firm set earth here, not my steps, which way they walk. 
He is not reporting thoughts and feelings that he's had before. He's, he's figuring out his thoughts and feelings at the same time as they're coming in his mouth. He's working through something. Mm. So very useful. Then I would look at in the speech, the next thing I would do is talking, talking about the syllables is there's 32 lines in that speech. How many thoughts? I worked it out ahead of time. There's 12 different thoughts. There's 12 thoughts in that speech. How many of them are questions? How many of them are declarative statements that end with a period? How many of them are exclamations? How many are they midline thoughts that break in the middle of the Mm -hmm. line or start in the middle of the line? He interrupts himself. He's on a train of thought and then he stops that thought in the middle of the line. What does that tell you about what's going on? How many words are multisyllable versus how many are monosyllable? Why do you think that is? So another teacher that I've worked with has a great exercise where the first word is a thought igniter. So first word, thought igniter, last word, story. And Mm. one of the things that I impress upon my students is powering up at the end. When we speak nowadays, we power up in the middle of what we're saying and then we run out of steam, we run out of breath, and you know what I'm going to say anyway, we run out of speed. We have to do the opposite with Shakespeare. We want to build to the end. Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. We want to build an energy tone and volume towards the end of the thought, making that the most important Mm. part. So the first word is a thought igniter, and the last word is story. So we do lots of exercises with igniter, story, ignite, story. Is, me, the, the, I, still, art, sensible. So the words are everything. The words are your tools. They're your weapons. They're your magic tricks and just trying to get them out of their heads, get them out of self-judging, self-analyzing. That's my job and getting them into their bodies and up off the page on their feet and using all their cells to tell the story. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like there are things that you learned at, at Hofstra or, or Lambda or, or with David Kaplan that, that you're still using today, you know, in, in, in your teaching that, that you're sharing that, that, oh, that still apply. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think what I said earlier, which is act the verb, not the adverb. So mm-hmm. many times people, the first question actors ask, young actors, especially, how do I do this? How do I play that? That's the wrong first question. The right first question is, what are you doing? What is Macbeth doing? Is he talking himself into this terrible deed that he's about to do? Right. Is he being, is he seeing the dagger as a warning? Now, my personal feeling, if I was playing Macbeth, is I would use this speech as, I think it's Macbeth's unsex me here. I think he's seen the witches. They told him he's going to be king. Oh my God. And Duncan is staying here. This is too coincidental. This must be the world telling me you're supposed to do this. And the dagger speech, I think, is his incantation to the dark powers that mm-hmm. the, the dagger is marshalling me the way that I was going. It is telling me to go, telling me to do this. I also feel personally that he has enough moments of self-doubt that mm-hmm. this one could be the one where it's like, I know I'm doing the right thing. I think everything's telling me and pointing me in that direction. He has, if it were done, when tis done. He already has lots of rumination and meditation earlier in other parts where should I do this? And the scenes with Lady M of self-doubt that I think it's right. cool if this is a moment where it's like, thou marshals me the way that I was going. Yeah, you're telling me yes. 
now or what half the world talks about Hecate's offerings. I think, I think that's what this is, is his incantation. Wow. It's, you know, what I love about a lot of this text is that there is no end to the amount of interpretation that we can bring to these things. Isn't that, that fun? That, it's so yeah. fun. I mean, you're, you're only limited by your own imagination and every actor, you know, will see something or pull something or, you know, glom onto something differently and go, well, what if it's like this? I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember I, when I played Richard the third, I was, I was reading all these papers about, you know, the, the psychology and the mirror effect and all these things about like, you know, cause I was just very interested in that portal into the character of like, what, what happened to him as a young child that would lead to this kind of behavior and all this kind right. of stuff. And then really looking at, you know, watching all these YouTube videos of, of like the different gates and, and things like the physical things that people can actually have and what they look like and how they manifest and all this kind of stuff, you know, which is, and, and again, like that was my particular interest in, in the topic and looking at the character's journey. But, you know, anyone, you, you know, anyone who's played the part or, or any of, you know, any of these other parts, it, it's all going to be, well, what's, what do you see that's interesting to you? And what's, what's going to, what's going to ignite you, you know, to, to borrow that word in this stuff? Having said that, I think that if you were playing Macbeth, if I was directing Macbeth, the mm -hmm. play, I would do this speech differently than if I was directing somebody doing an audition monologue. Mm, okay. If he was doing an audition monologue, the actor, I think, should show a journey. It should start sure. and it should start in one place and end up in another place. So I would, in the audition, start off with fear and doubt and self-rumination and talking himself into, by the end, he's fully resolved to do this. Because you need to show all the variety. You wouldn't do this audition speech the same way you would play the play, especially mm -hmm. if you like that idea that, oh my gosh, the, this is the, the, I bet the witches sent this dagger to show me that what I'm doing is the exact right, right thing to do and to be fully resolved through the whole thing. I think that if you did it that way, it would contrast well with if it were done when it is done, then to well it were done quickly. And that speech, he's by the time that, that speech finishes, he's talked himself out of doing it. Right. So it would be different the way you would play it if you were an audition than you would if you were playing the character in, in the part. Hey there, this is Nathan one more time. Thanks so much for checking out the episode today. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss anything ahead. If you enjoy what you've heard, please let others know. Write a review, post on social media, send an email, tell your entire acting class, or just a friend. I sincerely appreciate it. You can tag us at WAJ Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on Facebook and YouTube. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Be sure to check out WorkingActorsJourney.com for our show notes with additional info and links mentioned in this episode, as well as all the episodes. We've got 25-plus interviews and 12-plus workshop presentations. Sign up for the email list so you're the first to hear about upcoming projects, workshops, and much, much more. Thanks again to today's guest and to everyone that makes these episodes possible. And a special thanks to you for listening. I'm Nathan Agin, and enjoy the journey.